Hi, I'm Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thusio. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast brought to you by Insperity. This episode features my interview with NBA and cultural icon Dennis Rodman. In this episode, Dennis shares with us the exact moment he evolved from a clean-cut basketball player to the tatted-up, multicolored hair follicle phenomenon we know him as today. He shares his triumphs, his trauma, and everything in between. Enjoy the interview. We all know the accolades, two-time All-Star, five-time NBA champion, seven-time defensive, uh, 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 two-time defensive player of the year, seven-time rebounding champion in the NBA. How did you get um, good at the game of basketball? Because you were little, and you said you didn't start playing until you were 20, but you turned out to be an NBA Hall of Famer, one of the all-time greats, a unique character in the history of the game. How'd you get good at it when you, didn't never, when you never really did it? I couldn't really explain that because I was pretty much, you know, one of those type of kids back in the, in the projects, getting into trouble a lot, been in jail a lot, living homeless for two years. Um, I don't know how this really happened. Um, I was like five foot seven, five foot eight when I was 18 years old, and li- working at uh, DFW Airport in uh, Dallas, Texas. Went to jail, got out of jail. Went homeless for two years, started growing. I was six foot seven, six foot eight, living on the streets, and I just started playing basketball when I was 21, 22 years old. And so it happened, someone saw me in a gym, in the projects, and said, "Hey, do you like to have a scholarship to go to school?" And I'm, you know, I'm illiterate, so I, okay, I go. But it was in a real royal country town when racism was really high back then. <laughs> I'd be really big back then, but it was like. When you hear people calling you the N-word, all kind of racial slurs and stuff like that, I thought it was just normal. <laughs> also used to hearing it and being where I was living at, so I didn't give anything about it, but uh, I just started playing basketball. I forgot, I forget what was going on outside, you know, my, my area, so it just came natural to me. Did you, did you look at it as a way out of that, out of your situation that you were in, or just... I was so sublime about the whole situation. I was, just, I was just thinking that I was playing basketball. I didn't think this game was going to make me money. <laughs> you know, so. Now, we saw you with this, the Pistons. And you're clean cut, nice cropped hair, no tattoos. And then we saw you later, which is tattoos, you know, ear piercings. The whole nine yards, right? The whole nine yards. Right. But the question I have for you is, when did it become comfortable for you to be you? Well, comfortable, let's see. Define comfortable. <laughs> when did you stop giving a fuck? With, did you, <laughs> 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 That's a good word. Um, you know, uh, coming from the, um, coming from Oklahoma, small school in Oklahoma, uh, living on a farm for four years, uh, transcended from Oklahoma to Detroit, um, I didn't have no clue what Detroit was all about because that's the only state I went to was Oklahoma. And uh, I'd never been out of, out of the you know, United States at all. The place I went to is probably Kansas City, you know, with the railroad tracks and stuff like that. But going to Detroit was a whole different experience, whole different experience. I mean, I, I was in for a very, very culture shock. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, for me, 
I was so green at the time because I started playing basketball when I was 20. And uh, I grew when I was 21 years old and everything started to happen from there. So what happened when you got your first check? <laughs> well, you, you, you're kind of young to understand this, <laughs> but in 1986 to 1987, I mean, not 87, I think my check was, the first, the first check I got, I think it was like $4,500. That was a payroll check. And I think the whole year I got 110000 After taxes, probably sixty-five, seventy. So basically, I had to get a job. So you didn't look at it as your 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 your, your out of the hood job. It wasn't your out of the hood job. I mean, well, I, basically, I have no money, so basically, I had to go work to uh, to make money. Yeah. Now, you finally came into your own with the Pistons in '91 or so, um, and you led the league in rebounding in '92. Uh, you won a championship, and you started to become the Dennis Rodman that that we all know. Now, part of that came from the bad boys of Detroit. Tell us about that bad boy team and how, they, how it shaped you. Well, uh, after, we beat the Chicago, after we beat Boston, we started to play Chicago, and that became a rivalry, right? And um, I, didn't, I didn't realize what type of team that we had until we used to fight in practice every day. There was a fight almost every day in practice, guys. It was Seriously. the worst. It was it was Lambert, <laughs> Lambert, Lambert, Rick Mahorn, Vinnie Johnson, Long. Vinnie didn't fight nobody. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, it was me and Adrian Danley sometime, Mark Mark Aguirre, uh, but basically we all fought. Uh, I mean, Isaiah Thomas fought Bill Lambert. Uh, it was pretty much a fight almost every day, every practice, pretty much. But that what made us really tough uh, to uh, to grow up as far as like, beating Boston, Chicago, and then win a championship. So. For me, when, when things started uh, to kind of like go in different directions, when Chuck Daly got, uh, got fired, uh, Isaiah Thomas, everybody started to leave the Pistons. So basically, I basically locked myself in, the, in my house for like six months. I didn't play that season 91 for like <clears throat> maybe the half a season because I was so disappointed because I thought we were, so, we were supposed to grow as a team, as a family, uh, and retire in Detroit. But it didn't work out that way because then I started to learn about the business. And I just locked myself in the house for like six months and came back out and started to reevaluate myself. Did you guys like each other in Detroit? <laughs> uh, in practice, no. <laughs> In practice, we didn't like each other because we had that mentality to go out there and, 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 and play the game in basketball physical. And uh, Bill Lambert and Rick Mahorn really taught us that a lot. And uh, we got hit when our first year in the, in, uh, with Detroit in the second year, we got beat up a lot, me and John Sally, a lot. And we got tough and tough, and, and we start to get the mentality to, uh, to, to play the game you know, physical. Now, that physicality expressed itself on the court. We saw it all over the place, and it was one of the reasons that you either loved or hated the Detroit Pistons. I want to take you to the 1991 Eastern Conference Finals against the Chicago Bulls, and you know where I'm going to want to go with this. Now, this became a signature of yours. It was almost this, like, passive aggressiveness. I'm going to get in your face. I'm going to annoy the hell out of you until you respond. Why did you think you could do that to Scottie Pippen? Well, because you know, Scotty had a, uh, a thing where if he's under pressure, he get these mind-fucking headaches and shit, you know? <laughs> so, so, 
these migraine headaches, you know, this, this came out the blue when they played us. And uh, basically, so basically, me and Scotty was the same size, six foot eight, and uh, we pretty much had the same talent. But Scotty was very talented, man. He was very good. He was just not coming into his own. And, I, and Michael needed a guy like Scotty to, to appeal him to be in a championship game, a uh, championship team. But uh, it was it was a it was a matchup in heaven, for heaven, you know. So, but you know, so Chicago. Did you have a problem with him though? No, I don't or you just a, knew you could pick on him. I don't have a problem with Scotty at all. I just think that you know it's more like for me to put the intimidation in Scotty, and so basically he he weighed about two hundred. I weighed about two hundred, and Rick Warren weighed about three hundred, and <laughs> Lambert weighed about two seventy, two eighty. But uh, when he hits you, you, you know you got hit. So now, by the way, that was a flagrant foul it was. that we just saw. It was, it was, that was a flagrant. That wasn't you know, a flagrant one. Yeah. It was just a technical foul. Yes, you're right. It was a technical. Scotty missed the second of the two, right, by did. the way. So it worked. It did. Sometimes it works. Um, the intimidation side of, of your game, it was, it was passive aggressive, right? It was you would annoy someone to the point where they would react. When you would do this with guys like, Shaq, like you watched some of the highlights of you with Shaq, you wouldn't try to foul him by blocking a shot. You just, you just tackle him. Well, I just, I just irritated the hell out of him. Yeah. <laughs> just because I was six foot eight, he's was seven foot yeah, two, two, four. Yeah. four, four Enorm- enormous. Yeah, enormous. He was this huge. I mean, he's like four hundred pounds now, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 that fucker won't stop eating, huh? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, but. Well, uh, when Shaq came in the league, it, it was a whole different dynamic. I mean, he was seven foot two. I mean, probably about 290, 285. I mean, I mean, just built solid, right? And, uh, and we played against him when we were in Chicago. And uh, since uh, Luke Lonely couldn't guard him, Phil Jackson said, Dennis, you have to go and play center. I said, okay, it's fine. And I wasn't scared of anybody in the league, you know, because I felt like that I was, I was mentally tough enough to guard anybody and, and be physical with anybody. So basically, my job was to defend, rebound, and get all, do all the, uh, the little things that help the team win. And uh, so basically, they asked me to guard Shaq. And I, I, I did a pretty good job on Shaq a few times. And uh, he got frustrated at me sometimes and uh, he threw a couple of punches at me. Now, you weren't scared of anybody, but was anybody scared of you? <laughs> well, I <laughs> I can say one person in, in, um, that was scared of me out of all the people that I dealt with in the in the NBA, um, Popovich. Popovich? <laughs> he wasn't even a player. I'm just saying, in the NBA, Greg Popovich. Why was why were you scared? Why was Greg Popovich scared of you? Did you threaten him? <laughs> I mean, you telling us some stories right now? I'm telling you stories, okay? So, I went to San Antonio, okay? Since you ain't asking this story, I'll give you guys some information about Greg Popovich, the soldier guy. Uh, so, he... Uh, this isn't a political thing, is it? No, 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 no political. Right, just making sure. So, I, so when, I, when I got released from, um, from Detroit, I went, to, I went to San Diego. I was in a hotel. I, I was in Vegas. You done? <laughs> I was in San Diego Hotel and, and John Lucas came and found me in San Diego and asked me what I'd like to play for uh, San Antonio. I said, yeah, fine, cool, I, I'll do it. So I went to San Antonio and Greg Popovich was the GM. He didn't know that John Lucas came and got me and signed me to a contract to, the, to San Antonio. And uh, 
And all Greg knew about me was that I won two championships with Detroit. I was a mild money guy. I was a clean cut, you know, da 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 guy, you know, just come down to do, to do the job. But you, you uh, were faking it well. Well, I wasn't faking it. I wasn't faking it. I didn't know any better till I got to San Antonio, the Bible bumping state. And once, once I went to San Antonio, my whole life, my whole career changed. I mean, just out the blue changed. And um, when I went there, I was dating, dating a girl. Danny, uh, J.B. Hunt's daughter. And, uh, sorry, you guys know J.B. Hunt, the, the company? So the company used to own the Chiefs and all that shit. And so so it's just, that's, a girl, that's a girl story. So anyway, I was dating her, and uh, I went to San Antonio. And my life, my life actually changed by mistake because I was so bored of the game of basketball. I was so not interested in playing basketball at the time. So... Me and my girl went to the went to the mall, and this big, tall Indian, about six foot nine, about three hundred pounds, long black hair with a long white streak. <clears throat> and he said, "Dennis, come over here." I said, uh, "What's the problem?" He said, "Let me do something with your hair." And uh, I said, "For what?" He said, "Let me do something with your hair." This is a true story. So I went to the to the barber shop and sat down in the chair. I fell asleep while he was doing my hair. I thought he'd just give me a cut. And uh, so it's like an hour later, he said, so I woke up, he said, so how you like it? I looked up, I said, oh, shit. <laughs> I said, blonde. You know, blonde, it was a mohawk. It was a mohawk. I said, oh, my God, what the hell you do, right? He said, it's, it's something different. So later that evening, we went to the movies. And my girl said, what do you want to see? I said, I don't care, man. You know, let's, let's go watch a movie somewhere. So we went. Uh, got some tickets to a movie theater, and we walked in, we sat down, we didn't know what movie was playing. So we sat down, and I looked up at the, at the screen, it said, Demolition Man. Uh, I'm like, this, this wasn't playing at all. So as the movie was playing, all of a sudden, Wesley Snipe comes on with a mohawk, blonde mohawk. <laughs> I had the same thing, blonde mohawk. I'm like, oh my God, right? So after the movies, the next day they had a fan appreciation day in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. And uh, I had a baseball cap on, and it's like 30,000 people cheering, da 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 da. So, you know, so um, it came my turn to speak. So I said, All right, so Dennis, uh, why are you in San Antonio? Why do you want to be uh, with the Spurs? I said, Well, you know, I got traded and came to Spurs, and I would love to to be a winner, to win a championship here, all the political stuff to say. And so, so it, then all of a sudden, I just blurted out and said, you know what, I don't care if you guys like me or not, I'm just gonna be Dennis Rodman, one of the bad boys. And I took my hat off and people went nuts. Like they saw a ghost, right? And, and, and Papa Bruce went crazy. He told John Lucas, he said, John Lucas, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't sign up for this. He has to say, he has to die his hurt back to black. Like, is what you get. So basically, my life changed right there at that mall. That's why that's all, all the things became. What was your first tattoo? Uh, it, it was a. Some, it's kind of a little hard. What's wrong with that? That's <laughs> great. That's, that's your sensitive heart. side, man. No, 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 no. People see me sensitive. That kind of sucks. <laughs> so so uh, no, it was a little hard. You know, I had it on my back. So and. Uh, um, what was it for? It was no. It wasn't for no woman. <laughs> it wasn't for no woman. I just did it because just to do it. But uh, I started getting tattoos in San Antonio. I started doing it in San Antonio. But I really started doing it in Chicago. 
and uh, it's just more. It just it added to the the flair when I was when I was going out, and uh, people say Madonna, uh, Sharon Stone, Cindy Crawford. I can name a lot. And so, so and they said, "What Madonna? Madonna taught you a lot of things about marketing yourself." I said, "I didn't know anything about marketing, and I know anything about all this stuff, trying to make money about my uh, character and my uh, ability to to create stuff." Did Madonna? Well, she was she was at the lowest of her career at that point, so that's where she came and got me. It was she came and got me in San Antonio. So, you know, I love the girl; she's a cool girl. But uh, at that point, her career wasn't at the highest. So, and I think a lot of people know that she loves to date bad boys, and she thought I was a bad boy. And she came to San Antonio and to the front office and asked some asked uh, the Spurs front office where I live at. And they couldn't give the information out, and she left, went back to Miami. And for some other reason, this woman called my house every day for 30 days straight. For 30 days straight, and my assistant at the time kept saying, this girl, some girl keep calling her name Madonna. <laughs> True story. I said, Madonna, who, who is Madonna? You know, I'm trying to you know, be stupid. Who the fuck is Madonna? You know, <laughs> she said, you know Madonna, the singer, is I agree. So she made this phony claim, the fact that, you know, she's doing this, but. Uh, GQ cover story that she wants me in with her. So she sucked me again on the plane. I went to the plane, went on the plane, went down to Miami, and stayed at our house with my friend. And we ended, we literally in Miami on the beach in her pool, and we like two little, you know, <laughs> two little sixteen-year-olds, like, two sixteen-year-old kids, like in a pool, looking at each other. What are we doing here? You know, I'm going to be playing a game tomorrow. So and we we go to her house. We did a photo shoot. And I'm upstairs in the room with my friend, and we're getting ready for so-called bed, and get a knock on the door. As Madonna says, she said, Dennis, Madonna want to see you in our room. I said, okay, all right. <laughs> so I said, okay, all right, this is cool, right? So, and this is how, you guys can really feel so bad for me when I say this, when I say this next quote. When I went in the room, I actually slept on the corner side of the bed right here. She's, she's had the whole bed to herself, right? And she had this lingerie, high heels on, and just, you know, had her music playing and stuff like that. And I'm like, she said, she said, do you like me? I said, I don't even know you. And she said, do you want to touch me? I said, shall I? That's what, I, that's what I said. I said, should I touch you? She said, you know, I, I thought we just had a photo shoot. With this, we, we're friends. She said, no. You would like to touch me? I said, no. That's what I told her. I said, no. And she said, you know, a lot of guys want me to do like a threesome with them, but you kind of seem different. This is true story, guys. You know, this is true story. I'm like, I'm like, God damn. I'm like, I'm, I'm the, I'm the right. I'm like, wait, 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 what's next? I'm like, I'm like, wow. I said, wait a minute. Hold on. She actually want me to have sex with her right now. And I'm like, okay, Grace. So I didn't have sex with her because you can't, you can't have sex a day before a game. <laughs> you know why, right? Those legs, dead legs, right? Dead legs. So. And the coaches know we got dead legs, right? So I think you know about that, right? Hey, no you comment. No comment. <laughs> Come on, Come on, dead legs, baby. I thought it was the opposite. I'm just saying. Uh, no, 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 no. So anyway, so that, um, we started dating after that, and she pretty much was, she came in the locker room on every game. She came in the locker room, all the guys are naked and everything. She didn't care. She wanted the guys, so... We did it for two years in San Antonio, so that's my story about Madonna. Yeah, that's a great story about Madonna. 
after you left San Antonio, you went to Chicago and you won three championships there. And one of them, in 1996, uh, Jordan's and the Chicago Bulls teams never went to a game seven. Game six against the... Uh, no, no, against Byron Russell, um, uh, against Utah, was an amazing shot. What was your experience playing with that Bulls team? By the way, I heard that you had to apologize to Scottie Pippen for that first clip that we saw. Uh, but what was that experience like? You can, you can answer that, too, with, okay. with Michael Jordan and the Bulls. So that push I did on Scottie Pippen, and when I got traded from San Antonio to Chicago, um, I went to Jerry Krause's house, and Jerry Krause... Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, me, his wife, three dogs, cat, <laughs> Phil Jackson. We had a meeting at uh, Jerry Cross's house with all of us there, and we all sat like at a triangle. You know, we didn't talk to each other at all, at all. We all just like met our own business. And Phil came up to me and said, Dennis, you know, before we put you on the team, could you do me a favor? I'm like, uh, what is that, Phil? He said, could you go over and tell Scotty you're sorry? <laughs> oh, this, is, this is all true shit, man. <laughs> I'm like, sorry for what? He said, you know, that, that series you guys had in 99, 91, you know, I said, you want me to go say sorry for that? He said, would you just go, go do it? I said, all right, I go, I said, you know, I went up to Scotty, I said, Scotty, um, Sorry about that, man. You know, pushing you out of bounds. He said, Scotty said, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. We just want to win a championship. And he said, are you on board? I said, hell yeah, I'm on board. So um, that's how I signed a contract right there. I had to say, I had to apologize to Scotty. <laughs> that's the only reason why I was on Chicago, but I had to apologize to him. And after that, and uh, after that, the rest was history. But no one knew what Chicago was going to do that year. No one knew I was going to be like a wild cannon. I was going to do all this crazy stuff. But who knew that we were going to win 72 games? Who knew that we were going to go through the playoffs and just breathe through the playoffs with a new team member? Who knew that, you know, we could click at all cylinders at, at I mean, any, I mean the, the whole year. Then end up winning two more after that. And then, and then it's so funny, though, that Michael Jordan Michael, no one knows, Michael Jordan was like the lowest paid player in his era. He was getting paid like 2.5 million for like eight years. And then when he wanted to retire, in 90, when, he, when he came back from 95, when he came back in 96, he wanted to retire after that uh, fourth championship. So everybody talked to me into it. So basically he wanted $30 million a year. So Jerry Cross was basically complaining, oh, we can't afford you, we can't, no, no. Michael said, okay, I'll retire. So he said, okay, we gave Michael 30 million, gave Scotty 15, gave me two. <laughs> two million. I was the lowest play guy on the team, pretty much. And, and so we won another championship, 97. So Michael was gonna say, you know, he's gonna leave again and say, I want 35 million. So they forked up 35 million, 97, 98. We all came back, I got paid a little bit more, 10 million. Scotty got 16. So um, in that 98 season, that was the uh, that was the uh, the shortened season. That was the strike season. It was 52, 54 games, and me, Scotty, and uh, Phil Jackson begged Michael to come back. We actually begged to Michael, come on, man, we could do it one more time. It's only fifty five games, you know. And and Michael said, well, okay, I'll come back. They have to pay me fifty million dollars. <laughs> I 
I said, I'm on it. I'm, I'm with it. You know, so I'm with it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not your money. <laughs> I'm with it. I would get my paycheck. I was like, yeah, let's do it, you know. And Scotty said, I don't care. I'll take a pay cut. And Phil said, I'll take a pay cut. And then he went to the um, – Phil went to Jerry Cross. Cross said, no, we're not doing it. You know, this is this. And, and Michael Jordan got into Jerry Cross. They cussed each other out. And basically that ended the whole thing. So we was coming back for that fourth season, but the contract didn't, didn't – uh, persevere with Michael and uh, Jerry Krause. What was the party scene like in Chicago? Because oh, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, no, no, yeah. reading the stories about you oh, in Chicago man. is Oh, is my epic. God. It's ep- oh, my God, dude. <laughs> that was my whole life in Chicago right there. So, you know, having a good time in Chicago. But the one thing, I, one thing I've always proud myself to do, no matter if I worked hard, if I worked hard, I played hard. But, but I never, ever, ever in my life to the day I was born, to the day now, I've never, ever, besides alcohol, I've never touched one ounce of any drug, cocaine, marijuana, nothing like that. Never done that type of drug. Never in my life. And people always thought I did cocaine, all that shit. You're just naturally crazy. <laughs> right. Let me, um, and for some reason, Phil Jackson agreed to be your Hall of Fame inductor. Let me, you, I never saw you get emotional. What? I mean, everybody see me get emotional. Not this, kind, not this kind of emotion. Question. Two questions. <laughs> we just skipped that. Yeah. Well, one is about Phil. I mean, he was he was like a father figure for you. Oh yeah. And I, and I know you didn't have a relationship with your father until no. much later in in your life. But then the second one is about you. As a father, oh, yeah. um, you had a recent DUI. You stopped drinking alcohol because you wanted to be a better father to your kids. Talk about parenting, and then <laughs> and what Phil meant to you as a quasi parent. Well, you went to my father figure. You got to go back to <clears throat> in um, Volchito, Oklahoma, when uh, Mr. James Rich really got me to the point where I, I could be uh, uh, somewhat in society. That was in 1984. Then when I went to Detroit, Phil. Uh, um, Chuck Denny really gravitated to me. And he thought I was so green behind the ears. He said, okay, great, whatever you need, just come to me. And he kind of, you know, fell in love with the fact that he knew I was so immature, young in the mind. So basically he wanted to teach me. So he taught me a lot in Detroit and I pretty much grew up as a man in Detroit. But once I went to Chicago, Phil Jackson was more like my father, brother, someone that I really depend on as far as like, like a, like a, like someone cared about me, and uh, Phil Jackson did a great job with just handling me in the way you know, a lot of other coaches couldn't have. But uh, as far as me being a father today, it's, it's so it's so cool to see that uh, I uh, see I get emotional. Get it together. Um, it's all good. It's all good. Um, but it's so cool the fact that I see my kids today, man. And it's like wow, you know, when I was drinking, I was drinking heavily, you know, a lot. And uh, and I, I see my kids today in a whole total different light, man, for some earthly reason. And I was never like that father figure where, you know, they could come to me <clears throat> and ask me for advice and stuff like that because I was too 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 independent, too for Dennis, for Dennis, for Dennis. It wasn't like you got two kids over here, you got two siblings over here that really need you and stuff like that. I really didn't see that because I think that I, I pretty much took that trait from my father, even though I didn't know my father. He loved when he was when I was like maybe six months, and I saw him at a Chicago game, at a Chicago Bulls game, for the first time after 30-some years. And 
I really didn't really pay attention to that then. And, I, and all the things that's really transpired in my life as far as like my mother, my father, and all the things that, that I grew up with, and like a lot of guys in, you know, in, in pro sports that grew up with, with a, probably a broken home, you know, a mother, only a mother, not a father. But I felt the same way with my kids when I had my kids. I felt like that I was being my father at the time when I was drinking and partying a lot. And, uh, and once, that, once I got that DUI, and uh, I, actually, I actually felt so, so normal at that point because I felt like that I actually lost a lot. And once I went to treatment up there in Jersey, and I actually kept, I couldn't even sleep for a couple of days, but I kept saying, is this real? Am I really, really going through this situation? And, uh, and my kids kept calling me and said, Daddy, we love you, love you. And I never heard that from my kids, saying that they actually love me. I said, you actually love me or that other guy? And they said, no, we love you, we want to see you get better. I said, wow. I kept, I kept, kept, it kept reminding me of the fact that I never got that. As my, mom, my mother never even told me that she loved me. Never, never told either one of us that she loved me, loved us, because she ne- never had time. She worked three or four jobs. You know, when you see your mother in the ghetto, in the projects, getting beaten, slapped, uh, raped. It's, I mean, this is all true. When you see that all the time, you get accustomed to seeing stuff like that. You don't see nothing but that. All this negativity and stuff like that, and you're supposed to treat people like that. And then once, once I got into the business, the entertainment business, and it got even worse because I really didn't care about what people thought. And then now, since I'm older and I'm out the game of basketball, it's, it's, my life is really, I'm really trying to, t- turn back time now to try to figure out what time that I lost is so important to me now that I can't that I can't get back. But if I can do it today and try to try to let them see that I'm actually trying to stay sober, trying to understand, trying to to listen what they're going through and what they need as a real father because I don't want to be, be like my, my father. And uh, you know he had 16 wives, he had 39 kids, I was the first one. And so basically, you know uh, like I said, I don't hate my father, I don't hate my mother, I don't hate my life. I just think the fact that it, it just made me a better person because I think about that so much and I think that I, can, I have a lot more to you know, improve as far as, as a human being. Dennis, you won five NBA championships. Was any one more special? What's the one that's most memorable? Does any stick out in your mind? Well, I think the, the one that was special when um, I think we won the number four in Chicago. Because when they written Michael Jordan off, when he came back, they thought Michael Jordan was done. Um, they written me pretty much off once we went to Chicago. And when I got to Chicago, we won the championship. And then it was, it was so cool the fact that my oldest daughter never saw me play. And she was right there behind the basket. And she was just on the edge of the seats the whole time. And, and once we won, I said, that's, that's probably the most memorable moment of my career right there, just to have my child, one of my child, see me play. <laughs> so that was it. So last question for you, Dennis. Do you have any regrets? I thought you were going to talk about North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't say a word. <laughs> I didn't say a word. I, th- I thought you were going to send me up for that one. Okay? No, I just said, do you have any regrets? <laughs> they, they, you know, a lot of people like, a lot of people want to ask that question about North Korea and stuff like that. And as my friend knows right here, the fact that, yes, I am probably the only guy probably can talk to Kim Jong-un and Trump. Yes, I am. But um, 
I've said it when I was over there last year. I said, one of these days, we, the things are going to change one of these days. Just give it time, it's going to change. And, and people really looked at me like I was crazy and that I don't know what I was saying and, what, and I was just over there just because. And uh, I think that, you know, I think that just in general, I think life in general, if you, see, if you see a lot of things in life, seriously, about people going to help people around the world. And as far as living in the United States, we're the most unforgiving, I mean, we're, we're forgiving country in the world. We forgive anything in, 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 in America. We forgive first, second, third, fourth, fifth chances, right? We give people chances, right, around the world. And I'm not a political guy, but I think the fact that when I, what I said about he wanted to really change the culture in North Korea. And I'm still gonna stand by, he really wants to change and he really wants to open up. And I said that he's not like his father or his grandfather. He just got put in that position because he's so, he's so Americanized thinking wise. And, and he always asked me, he said, Dennis, I want to come to New York. This is what he always asked me. He said, I want to come to New York in the garden to watch a basketball game. That's his whole thing. He loves basketball. Do you think Dolan would let him in? <laughs> but, but, but you know what? You know what's so funny about that, dude? If I actually walked, if I actually walked in, in, in the Madison Square Garden with him, people think that's a joke. They think it's a look-like. So, but I'm just saying, but you know, North Korea thing, and I, I'll probably be going back in a couple of months, but I, I really hope that it, it, it happened for, for the world. I hope it happened for the world so we can have a, a nice, peaceful uh, world to live in. And uh, for me, I do a lot of things around the world, a lot of charitable stuff. And, uh, and I just think that for my regrets, I really don't have any regrets about life. I, just, I, I think I, if I have any regrets, it's a, it's a fact that I didn't pay attention to certain most important things in my life and I'm trying to make up for it. And I think that it might be too late, but I'm going to give a damn good try to try to make it work. Just chase it down like a rebound. Dennis Rodman, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, Dennis Rodman. Be sure to subscribe to Thuzio Live and Unfiltered wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Thuzio. Thuzio.